Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello, Egg Chasers. It's the Egg Chasers Rugby Podcast, the podcast about rugby that doesn't take itself or the game too seriously. I'm Tim and uh, socially distanced still from JB in the Rugby Dungeon. Hi, JB. Hello, Tim. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. And socially distanced from Phil in his home in uh, in the suburbs with a garage. The suburb of Sale. Yes. yes. Hello, Tim. Hello, JB. A- any movement on whether your suburb of Sale will be home to Sale Sharks? Any more as the, cl- uh, the closing date of the... Of the feedback session happened, Come on, whatever it was, the 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 community feedback thing that's going yeah. on. So they were getting community feedback before they were putting planning permission in. That so sounds like that's that's the way you do it, isn't it? That's the normal way around. Maybe, maybe we'll we'll see. Um, no, right. I'm not aware if that has finished or not yet. Um, okay. But no, no, no movement on it yet. Other All than right. it's definitely not happening. No movement <laughs> on the haircut, and that's also definitely not happening. <laughs> I gather, Phil. No. No haircut for at least another two weeks as things stand. All right, we've got loads to talk about on this podcast. Not least the fact it is three weeks this weekend until the return of Premiership Rugby. Yeah. Four weeks till the return of Pro 14 Rugby. And we now have a brilliant finale for the Aotearoa competition in New Zealand. Aotearoa was awesome this weekend. Yeah, watch- so good. After- yeah. Yeah, I saw as much as I could. I saw um, I saw bits of I saw beloved, Phil's beloved Canes do the business, and then I watched highlights of the other game. Yeah, so um, obviously my uh, my beloved Blues. Um, the oh, do you know what? Joe, I'm going to stop you, JB, because I just need to say before we talk about uh, New Zealand rugby. Hold on, hold on. Let's set the because of the music in the stadiums. I think we need to do so, or at least introduce it <laughs> with some old '90s trance music. So. They love their old-fashioned music in the stadium, so there we go. Let's talk about New Zealand rugby. Uh. <laughs> it was either this or Sweet Caroline. Oh. I, marginally. I always, I always associate the song Sweet Caroline, as in the Argarve uh, last year, or the year before that, and as in one of these like, beach restaurant-y things. Very, 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 very nice. But it's full of like middle-aged men with entry-level Rolexes singing "Sweet Caroline." It was like hell on earth. <laughs> and um, the rude sandstorm. I always, always um, attribute that to doing a spinning session in the gym. For some reason, oh. every I've I've only done about ten spinning sessions in my life, and every single time they have the rude <laughs> sandstorm for like the the really high pace bit towards the end. Well, another. Oh, I could. I could have picked another one. What would be? An, let's have a look. What would be another song that you'd hear in New Zealand oh. rugby stadium? Um, Something by Crowded House. 
I have one. Um, uh, Fat Boy, Fat Boy Slim, right here, right now. Oh, that's oh, a tune. Yeah. Great song. That's that's too good of a song. We need something <laughs> a little bit cheesier than that. Well, the reason that I bring up that absolutely banger <laughs> is me and Phil are in a group, and somebody's just sent us a video of um, a UNICEF advert with starving children on it. So the background of right here, right now, it is the most. It's like it's like a spook. It's the most inappropriate music for one of the saddest situations. And now, obviously, I, I know I don't use this. Emaciated children are not funny. You're quiet. However, however <laughs> they've got this um, this right here, right now in the background. It's got like a little countdown. I don't know what I expect at the end of this countdown, but I, I expect it to go off. The, It'll go off to this. <laughs> I mean, that would that actually sets the tone better for the UNICEF act. act um, <laughs> <laughs> right, enough music. Oh, enough music that you hear in a New Zealand stadium. Uh, the rugby was absolutely awesome. But before, but before we actually get into the games, the team that weren't playing were also making headlines. The Landers, your, your Landers, were, my well, Landers, my boys, Tim Landers. Yeah, they were. Uh, well, some of them were making headlines by, um, well, enjoying their bye week quite a lot. I do not know about this. Please tell me. Uh, so the Highlanders um, are going to thoroughly investigate a player's drunken bender at a Queenstown hotel. <laughs> Amazing. It was, it was some of the players and some friends of the players um, who were over the weekend wreaking havoc, quote unquote, on a wild drunken night out in Queenstown. They went back to some apartments 4am on the Saturday where families were also staying and uh, police were called to a disturbance. There were apparently people... Again, it hasn't been confirmed that these are actually rugby players. It, it could be, it may not be, uh, but um, public urination, uh, screaming, screaming and shouting, holes in walls. Holes in walls are bad. Um, do you feel let down, Tim, as a, as a Landers fan? Yeah, well, I, I think all rugby players, um, you know, I think all rugby players are role models. I did wonder when I came around to your house earlier today why you were urinating in the street and punching holes in your wall. <laughs> Well, yeah, but the difference is that was, out, that was outside the front of my own house. That was my own wall I was punching a hole in. Um, and I turned my back to the street as I u- urinated publicly. So, Bloody hell. I, here's me thinking that everyone from New Zealand was a saint. We'll wait for the social media video from the landers of them, um, the rest of the team, polyfilling up the hole in the wall and sweeping up the floor. Definitely sweeping up afterwards. Body parts. Um, <laughs> Well, did it, uh, do you know what else is banging holes? Oh, Ardi Surveyor. Ardi Surveyor. Bloody hell, he was good. Oh, there's so many good performances in that game, in, in, the, in the Crusaders-Canes game. It was actually a, a good game. Well, uh, it was a very good Hurricanes game. I think the Hurricanes played very well. I do not think that was the best version of the Crusaders that I've seen. I, I, think, they play, I think they played pretty well, and... I think yeah, I think it was a pretty decent performance from them. It's the first time they've been beaten since 2016. 36 games unbeaten, of which they've had 35 wins and one draw. So a huge result for the Canes. And the last team to beat them was the Canes. Was that a final? Was that a semi or something? Uh, so that, that's that's oh, sorry. at. Um, I, was, I meant to hit this. I meant to hit this. <laughs> uh, that is, that's the 36 unbeaten run at home. So I don't, that, I don't think it was a final. Got you. So um, I've got to say, the one thing which I noticed this time around was how many times Crusaders defenders just got skittled. So Audi Surveyor, 
absolutely wiped someone out. Lamb wiped someone out. Um, was it Umaga? I mean, he had a great. I think he it was had a great game. Umaga Jensen did it a, a couple of times. You you're worrying about Laubapi, and then bang, yeah. Umaga Jensen comes in. Laubapi might be out for a couple of months. Suspected really? broken wrist. Yeah, um, he he tweeted about half an hour ago saying his Super Rugby Arturoa is over. Oh. Um, he, he says his 2020 is not over though. Um, but that that is a massive blow for but, the Hurricanes. Up to this point, he probably was one of the players of the tournament. Yeah, if not the single best player of the tournament. He, he's been unreal. He's been so good. Now, um, one of the things which I love to talk, loved, loved to talk about is lineouts. <laughs> Did anyone notice the starting lineout from the Hurricanes? No. No. Their first lineout was a five-man lineout. It went to the front, and they and they actually pulled off a one-man lift from the front. Did they? Like like the beast doing the lift from a no. kickoff. Well, yes, but that's from the back usually, not from the front. That's unheard of. That's <laughs> Who was lifting at the front? I've got no Andrew Sheridan. <laughs> <laughs> Who was he lifting? <laughs> Magnus. It was Magnus Ver Magnuson at the front, lifting yeah. Shane Williams. <laughs> <laughs> Magnus Lund. <laughs> it was, um, yeah, it was brilliant. I mean, obviously he was unopposed because the backboard drew someone away. But to even, you know, to even, even attempt that, let alone pull it off. Um, and then um, Canterbury had a very, very nifty sort of like back peel. So, uh, you know, that, that's one of the things I've taken away from um, this, uh, this Arturoa t- tournament, particularly Crusaders. It's just how inventive that they all are. So on the line-out, I was going to, Ask you well, both of you, because you know both. You both know a lot more about lineups than I do. Correct. Um, about in particular the second game, the Blues Chiefs game, there was a lot of missed lineouts. Um, There's a lot of pressure from both teams, and I was wondering because it's such a small competition. You've only got four of the teams' lineouts to worry about. It seemed like the jumpers often knew exactly where to jump, which gives the no, sorry, the defensive jumpers often knew exactly where to jump, which gives the um, offensive jumper, receiver, and the offensive hooker, thrower, a very, very narrow window, both in terms of time and location, to put the ball in. Otherwise, there's a failure. And there was quite a few misthrows, in, particularly well, in that second game. Yeah, the Blues game wasn't great for lineouts. Um, I, that's a really interesting point, and not one I've considered, actually. But the, the Crusaders line-out, which is usually very, very good because it's so inventive, Cody Taylor really struggled. And I don't know if he struggled yeah. because of pressure from the opposition or just he was having an off, um, having an off day. But I would always say that it doesn't really matter um, how much you play against one other team, particularly if you've got a variety of lifters, which professional teams obviously do, because you can manufacture time and, time and space. And kind of the more that you think that you know a line-out or the opposition line-out, probably the more that you don't know it because you can fall into traps. Well, there should always be a space somewhere to, to yeah. throw a ball and have a free lifter. Um, quite often, because I think it was quite greasy conditions, wasn't it, that game? Mm. And in those conditions, I'd have to go back and watch the whole of the match. I didn't watch the whole of the game. But I, w- I would imagine that they put a lot of pressure front and middle to make them make the long long throw yeah. quite a lot of the times in, in quite poor conditions. And when you, when you leave the out at the back in bad conditions that you can quite often have a lot of things go wrong. It might, may have yeah. been the case. I mean, if you think of something as simple, uh, you always use six, six plus one because it is simple, right? Or a six man line, I should say, right? 
if I have got a six-man liner, I have got four jumpers. If I want to defend a six-line six-man liner i've got two jumpers does that make sense i can only put up two pods it takes three, three three men to make a pod so you can't really pod up against it uh so you've got to mirror it and if you're mirroring it then you can be beaten on beaten into the air yeah so it's very very difficult to get i mean you've got to be a real real expert in fact or you got, the, or you got to know their calls so yeah well, that, maybe, that, maybe maybe that was it <laughs> that's kind of where i'm going i mean you, i know you can change the calls I would say the best way to defend it, right? If you have a really lively, um, a oh, really Phil, lively... Phil, why did you go there? Do you know JB's <laughs> Nor's topic is lineouts? <laughs> God, no, sorry, go on, JB. If you had a really like um, unpredictable offensive lineout, if you wanted to defend it, almost like your best option is to pretend that you don't know where it's going, so they give you the option that you want. Does that make sense? Okay, yeah. Aaron Brown them. Yeah, so if you're marking up with two pods, they're going to go in between your two pods. So you're best to spread. But then if you're too active in trying to mark out that jumper, or you're too obvious, then they'll go to a different jumper or manufacture it. Mate, manufacture get, get, get on the YouTube channel with a flip chart. Oh, God. Some, <laughs> some analysis which you see on YouTube or on Twitter is, is bad because like, you see things which you know are not real. Like, oh, look, there's Hadley Parks taking a breather. He's actually just surveying the space. Like, no, he's not. No, 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 he's out. <laughs> well, let's talk, look, look, from a flip side, let's go from lineouts to audacious, sublime, slightly accidental, insane skills of George Bridge, who were clearly living in a George Bridge universe. That try was insane. It was quite good, I've got to say. I mean, even though Canterbury lost, the class of their players is quite obvious. So, yeah, George Bridge is right up there. Um, I thought Reese was absolutely clueless for all, basically all of the game until the point that it nearly mattered. And then, it, and then he became awesome again and then finished the try. And Umanga as well. Uh, Umanga? Mu- uh, Mu- Mwanga. No. Richie Mwanga, yeah. Who had an objectively bad game. I mean, he really did. But he, he incredible was doing, moments. Yeah, incredible moments finished by a terrible bit at the end, usually, until he got really good at the end. Course. <laughs> that, that freaky George Bridge try, everyone will look at the kick and the finish, which was amazing. And George Bridge's face, even he couldn't believe he'd done it. Uh, but it's the, when you actually look at it, the little one two between yeah. scrum half, uh, the, 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 well, yeah, Seve Reese was at scrum half and passed it to a forward. He flipped it back. That one two was awesome. It was Bryn Hall. That's it. It, it was, it was, it was Seve Reese's acting half back and Bryn Hall, the actual scrum half, was just yeah. three, two, three meters away from him. Yeah. So that's, it's like something they've run in training. That little one-two, I loved it. Yeah, it was, it was nice. such a clever move. And then there was a moment, there was a moment at another point, or am I thinking, yeah, there was another point where the, the scrum half just does the most, yeah, Bryn Hall, does the most nonchalant, massive wide pass to a forward in the middle of the pitch. It's like 30 metres, and he just zips it, which opened up all the space out wide. It was, there was some of the basic stuff that had happened beforehand was amazing as well. Their skills of some of those guys are incredible. I was yeah. I was watching this weekend's games, just thinking, like we we've we've spoken in the last few weeks. We spoke about how good Aaron Smith is, but we spoke about the depth of talent that New Zealand have, particularly in the back row and particularly in the outside backs. But scrum halves might be the one place where they have simply the most talent. Because well, I watching Brad, Brad Webber um, this morning. I was thinking that's some player. Brad Webber is brilliant. Bryn Hall, who was the one that did that little one-two, 
um, and that amazing pass was brilliant. Aaron Smith has been uh, alongside Laumapi, um and George Bridge and Will Jordan, uh, possibly one of the best players in the tournament. TJ's a boy. TJ, TJ is incredible. The man that TJ, the man that couldn't get ahead of TJ at the Hurricanes, Finley Christie, who's now playing for the Blues, is, is playing that, amazing. Is that is that the ginger fella? Yeah, I should be a massive Blues fan. Yeah, Finley Christie. So he was at the Hurricanes and left last season because he wasn't getting ahead of TJ Perinara. He looks amazing. Even Jamie Booth, who was who made the tackle, the, basically the winning tackle ahead of um, Jordy Barrett's steal in in that game, who's the reserve Hurricanes fly half, uh, scrum half. Every time he's come on, he's looked amazing. Yeah. Now, I'm going to mention some negatives now. Um, one of the negatives would be Jordy Barrett. So, again, had some good uh, good moments. And I think that's maybe some, sometimes a danger when you watch too much Super Rugby is you only remember the good bits. And Jordy Barrett's got more than enough good bits to remember. But I do think he was at fault for that George Bridge try. He was turning like an oil tanker. I mean, he's just a big man. He can't, doesn't have the, renew, the maneuverability. But more importantly, when he gets high, high in the defensive line, how many times does he go around the head? And I don't know what is going on at Super Rugby, which means they are no longer enforcing the high tackle rule like they were earlier on. Certainly not like they were in the Premiership at the end of the season. But three or four times, he's missing tackles and going really, really high. And he's high up in, uh, high up in the defensive line too. So a few things which just make me worry a bit about him there. So on, on, his, on his running game... Like no one in the Hurricanes, other than Ardi Surveyor carrying like bowling over three players, no one found enough space in the Hurricanes team. It, it was the Crusaders who were doing all of the broken field running. Um, so I can I can understand that, um, but I do know what you mean on Jordy Barrett for the bridge try. He did look massively out of place, but then yeah. he's. He, he's very fast when he gets going, but because he's six foot five, it is more difficult for him to get going and change direction. Yeah. It was nice, nice seeing his brother back at 10, wasn't it? it, it was. And how much more threatening was Bowden Barrett close well, to mean, the line? Because he's got that speed of thought to spot a little gap and it was so much more threatening. Yeah, I mean, what a shock. The best 10 in the world is really good at playing 10. I mean, <laughs> who, who would have guessed? This strikes me as clearly clearly an order which has come down from high which is get Bowden playing at, playing at 15 for the All Blacks and I think I understand it now because uh, now I've got time to actually watch um, Rich, Rich, Richie Moanga play uh, I can see why they're so desperate to try and get both these guys playing at the same time it does make a lot of sense but ultimately I think you can only have one it, it, maybe maybe you can only have one I mean they, tr- they tried it in the World Cup yeah, I, I think they, I think they might stick with it, but we'll right. we'll see we'll see what that where that leads. They've, they've got time to evolve that if that's the way they see it potentially blossoming over time. But um, it was nice seeing Bodie Bodie back in the ten jersey, and now we've got an awesome finale set up. Yeah, well, to tell you what's amazing, uh, Warren Gatland coming over Super Rugby and it not affecting his winning record one bit. <laughs> exactly the same. Um, yeah, I think, well, Chiefs will definitely have a win. They definitely will. I mean, they've blown leads, they've played well. They were probably the better team in, in this game towards the end. They just couldn't finish it off again. Yeah, you, you talk about um, mentality of the players. And I, I, I really feel for the Chiefs because I've watched 
So I watched the game, li- um, non, not live, but when it was repeated on Sky at half 11. Um, and I rewatched the highlights and that final penalty, I cannot believe it was where um, the Blues steal the ball basically over the line. Yeah. I still cannot believe that was given as a penalty against the Chiefs. I cannot yeah. believe because he's, he's, you look at him, the ref is right there. His, his right foot is on the ground. His left knee is on the ground, the man trying to steal the ball. How, yeah, so, is, how is that given as a penalty against the Chiefs? You might say that the Blues are the second best team in the tournament until they went against Canterbury. They were probably looking like the best team in the tournament. They nearly lost to the team that has won zero games. Uh, yeah. Almost beat. Was it? Oh, did they play Hurricanes or Highlanders last week? They lost, they lost to the Landers. Uh, sorry, they lost to the Hurricanes. Yeah. I bet they were up by 20 or 10, 10, 20 points, something like that. So just to, I think the problem with this tournament is you're not going to be able to say it's going to be Crusaders, Blues in the last week because I don't think both these teams are going undefeated. And if Blues lose one more, it's over. So, but so- get Canterbury to Auckland, it's very much on. It's, so Crusaders could lose one game. If Crusaders lose one more game... I mean, the Hurricanes aren't out of this at all in terms of the, the final. They're, they are. They're gone. They're dead, mate. Hurricanes. Done. One, one, point behind your, one point behind your beloved Blues. Done. It's over. <laughs> <laughs> with, with more points for as well. Well, having, having enjoyed this so far, and there's no reason to think we won't enjoy it right to its conclusion, uh, talk is now turning to what is going to replace this competition next year and replace Super Rugby as we knew it. And it looks like three options have emerged, which are fairly similar. There'll be the New Zealand sides, some Australians, and potentially a Pacific Nations team. And the three options at the moment, and I think the, the favoured one, is there'll be five New Zealand teams, one Pacific Island team, two Australian teams. So there's eight teams in total, which would mean you get the right number of games playing home and away before a semi-final final. Australia yep. have said that's not on. We can't just have two teams. We want four, uh, which, which would mean a ten, which would mean a ten-team tournament, uh, which would mean that some teams would play twice, some would play only once to get the right number of games. That's right. So, um, so Australia have got to be careful here because, I, and I'm not just saying this to get a laugh. I genuinely mean it. I am not sure that the full strength Australian national team is good enough to play in Aotearoa. <laughs> I, I really am not I don't think they, they, they beat the Crusaders I, I I know exactly what you mean so why would they let I, I mean I, I think they would be but I do know what you mean yeah well they the, national, the national team would be whether the I mean the Brumbies look pretty decent in what I saw this weekend well they, they beat the, they're playing the force yeah they're playing the force I mean uh, maybe three Australian teams would be enough. I don't then, think got... you, then you wouldn't have the right number of teams. No, and someone's got to miss out. So the Waratahs are a historic brand, in in my opinion. Like the Brumbies are there, the Reds are there. I the Rebel, the... the Rebels, and the Force are the ones you. you... Yeah, As... Rebel, Rebels may be the better team at the moment, though. Yeah, they're not. The, they they only got introduced in like twenty. I don't know, 2013 or something. Remember Sipper's dance that he did when he scored that try when he went there? The, that, the... Was an, that was an ace try. A brilliant try. Horrendous celebration. <laughs> so, just on the Rebels, 
as I understand it, and people who know about Australian rugby a lot more than me can feel free to correct me. I'm sure you will. I think you can't get rid of the Rebels because they're privately owned. And they've got a private backer who puts a lot of money into it. So if they pulled the Rebels, it's going to make more issues for them. So well, gonna... the, the options New Zealand have said are, well, that apparently, well, this is off the record stuff, but what's apparently been muted is the eight-team league with two Australian teams or a 10-team league with four. So you're not going to get... You, you, the the, um, the force are, are probably cooked, and but that would get the Rebels in. But, um, yeah, it's interesting. The, the, the other... That one is going to... It's going to come to fruition. You would you would think fairly soon. What was the then other thing? Be, that... Well, the, on that then, because there was some fuss kicked up by um, South African rugby on yeah. uh, and Sanzar when this uh, initial pro- proposal got mooted last week by New Zealand rugby that there are contracts in place for Super Rugby seasons for a number of years for Sanzar as an organ organisation to be operating for a number of years. So you can't just necessarily unwind all the uh, legalities in place with these things. Yeah. Now with Sanzar, there's an interesting one because it is always the South Africans agitating to move into the Northern Hemisphere. Not that you can move a whole country into the Northern Hemisphere, but I think... <laughs> um, so it feels a bit rich now for them to say, hang on a bit, boys. Like, we would quite like to fly over the... the the Pacific Ocean every, what, four weeks to play you. I mean, they weren't that, that enthusiastic to start with. And, you know, looking at Aotearoa and how it's, you know, really got me in, interested in Southern Hemisphere rugby now, uh, I do think that maybe flying, uh, maybe flying all over the Pacific Ocean to play South Africa isn't going to make the best spectacle for a rugby game. Who's, who's oh, I think over, it's, it'd be wait, like... The... Who's flying over the Pacific Ocean? Yeah, no one's flying over the Pacific, but <laughs> no. yeah, How? from Australia, South Africa. No, or... that's that's a real long way round if you're going over the Pacific. Which way do you go? Um, sorry, over the Atlantic. How how do, how do you get to? How on? You head you... west from Australia over whatever that is there. Oh. The in, the Indian Ocean. Indian Ocean, I would imagine. Yeah, or... let, let me consult the map. You are right. It is the Indian Ocean. Yes, well, um, it would be like so. There's, a, I imagine, to, to to bring an analogy, I imagine there are a lot of companies now who, because they've been forced into a position where some of their workforce or all of their workforce have been working from home, and with you know degrees of success, there will be a lot of them that will be saying, "We maybe don't need the outlay of costs on our premises," and they would. In fact, I know from a friend of mine who works at a company that are considering this there are a lot of companies who will wait for the lease to expire and then will do away with their premises. Mm -hmm. But there are some people looking at the cost of keeping the staff traveling in um, and the the, the running costs versus the penalty cost for leaving your lease early. And uh, and it could, so it could well be the case and South African teams might have a legitimate case to say, all right, you want to go and do your own thing. Fine. But you you have got obligations pay up. Yeah. You want to correct, uh, what I meant is, if Crusaders happen to play the Haguares, they'd all <laughs> fly across the Pacific Ocean. Oh, they would, yeah, for sure. That's exactly what I meant. Who were in the South African Conference? So well, uh, actually, yes. I mean, to, to be fair, they no, no, they they no, they'd go across the South Atlantic, wouldn't they? No, they'd go over the, the Pacific. If if uh, Crusaders were playing in Buenos Aires, they would definitely go across the Pacific. Hundred percent, which is the South African Conference. So. Let, <laughs> 
less attitude, please, boys. <laughs> if, if which team would fly over the... Crusaders. 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 Oh, Crusaders. Oh, yeah, Crusaders would. If the South ah. African teams, they'd go, over, they'd go the they'd other go way. The, yeah. yeah, but where do Haguaris play, Tim? <laughs> Haguaris, they play in Buenos Aires. Oh, conference. They do play in the South African Conference. Oh, of course. <laughs> yeah. Although you did say to South matter. Africa. It doesn't matter what I said. Please continue with what you were saying. <laughs> um, right. the, the hot scenario- quiz. Go on then. Go on then, JB. If you're so hot on the seas, what's the sea that Australian t- uh, sides would fly over to go and play a New Zealand side? Tasman. Correct. Well done. Tasman. <laughs> so um, the, the scenario you described, Tim, with looking at um, a kind of cost-benefit analysis of breaking your existing agreements or um, letting them play out is... It's um, a slight variation on what Leicester did with their players. Like it's it's the same it's the same thing. Like if Correct. you break your agreements, you've got a penalty. Is that penalty and the loss of the um, the benefit that you would get from that contract? Is it more or less than what you're going to be paying out anyway? Correct. And Leicester clearly, I think possibly. I don't know. You look at some of those players. If they were on good wedge, which you imagine Manu Tuolangi, Greg Bateman, and the like were on. Pretty tidy wedge. I, you, you look now with all the players they've subsequently signed and think they were thinking, we can get a lot more bang for our buck on the current market. So get these guys out. And that, that's one of the things that when this whole thing first kicked off and when um, Genge was initially talking about creating a rugby players union and all the rest of it, in the back of my mind, and I mentioned it on one of the podcasts, was like this is the worst possible time because the, the market for player wages has never been weaker. Mm-hmm. Because there's players from all over the world who are taking pay cuts and moving around and there's changes to formats of tournaments and uncertainty. Never been a better everywhere. time to have loads of cap space. Yeah, it's never been better time to, to go out into the market and get players. Yeah, although I will add, I'm not sure if that's what Leicester were thinking. I mean, I do think they were genuinely wanting to cut costs and basically get away with violating contracts. And in terms of the Genja idea, I think the idea that he had was, no, no, we have contracts, boys. We need to protect our, protect our, um, what we already have. And I'm completely on board with that. In fact, I think it's a shame that they, well, that they didn't. Um, but the people, but, they've, the people they've not been able to convince, Vianu, Tuilangi, Bateman, and a, and a couple of others whose names I forget, those are some pretty expensive talents right there. They, man- they managed to persuade others that weren't quite as valuable or... We're of a different age profile. But even if you look at who they bought in instead, these aren't championship winners. I mean, people, no. people saying, oh, I think Tigers will be stronger. I, I, there's a one particular Tigers fan I speak to who knows everything there is to know about Tigers. He's like, yeah, I think we're going to be better next year. I'm thinking, yeah, I mean, you can't be much worse. <laughs> but ultimately, I don't think that they are going to enter next season with a stronger squad. At least Leicester Tigers could hang their hat on the well, probably the best backline in the league when everyone's fit and firing. Now, whether they played like that or not, I don't. Uh, that's another thing. But they have the names, they have the talent to do it. It's debatable what they have now. I mean, what do they actually have? Yeah, you've got some um, relatively young players from South Africa, Australia, and New Zealand, and you've got kind of the the guys. Well, some of the squad players left over from two second bottom finishes in the league. Yeah. And, and you, have, you have got George Ford and Ellis Genge and Taufua, who are genuinely talented players. 
That, yeah. uh, Matthias Moroni is a quality player. Yeah. In the centre, Argentinian international centre winger. Uh, Kini Muri Muri Valu is awesome. Namani Nadolo. Namani Dandolo. He's 32, but I think he'll still be awesome. Yeah. Um, um, Kobus van Vijk, who's been playing for my beloved Hurricanes mm. the last few weeks, he will go well. He, he will be a handy, handy player. He's a big, strong boy. He's quick. Occasional um, lapses in his defensive positioning from what I've seen. But other than that, get him going forward. He'll be great. Placing Johnny May. Johnny um, May, top try scorers, if not the top try scorer. Every season he's played for Leicester Tigers. And he's not there half the time. Now, well, exactly. Or a, or a negative. But I think if I was Leicester Tigers, I'd want more tries scored in fewer games than less tries scored over, uh, uh, you know, more games, if that makes sense. Hey, listen, we've talked about, we've talked about this many times before, but Johnny May's one of my favourite players over the last few years. He's been, one, he's been England's arguably best player over the last few years. And yeah. it doesn't make sense to have Johnny May if you pay market rate for him. It doesn't make sense. And it makes far more sense to have Kinney Murimurivalu and Maroney, and um, Van Vyck, and uh, the other one who we were just Nadolo. talking about. Oh, Nadolo. It makes far because you get 22 games out of them a season if they stay fit. That's true. Which, which is, that is the paradox of English rugby. Yeah. It Did doesn't you... make sense to, to support English players who are playing at the top of their game. No, it absolutely doesn't. Uh, did you see the eruption of rage by the fact that someone couldn't pronounce Moon Murivali's name? on Twitter and other places. Oh, yeah, I did see that. Uh, Shameful all round, I think. Anyway, um, yeah, Uh, that'll be Leicester Tigers then. Yeah, yeah. we sort of departed uh, the... I'll I'll tell you what, one thing that ties the Southern Hemisphere and the Northern Hemisphere together, Fiji. Okay. Who are... Well, the story a few days ago was that they are close to joining the Six Nations, which I was uh, ready to start spitting chunks about on the podcast but actually what it means is uh not not being part of the six nations but coming and after the six nations in october when that's concluded through november and early december playing a new eight team competition with japan potentially as well and the six nations sides uh, fiji could be involved in that which is brilliant for them and for japan if they're involved yeah but as, as a short-term one-off tournament yeah is that- presumably a knockout maybe yeah, maybe because otherwise you you can have quite a, a big round robin. Yeah, uh, which if it's a way of getting revenues back in, um, crack on, lads. Yeah, please do. Although Premiership clubs have issued a state a joint statement together saying they are unhappy, they want World Rugby to come back to the negotiating table because what they are proposing now in terms of an autumn test window going into early December longer than they were to recoup some of the revenues you talk about is that premiership players will be taken away from their clubs for the beginning of the next season, which is slated to start the end of November. Uh, I mean, for me, next season, do it as a half format. I, I just, I can't see how you can get the players the necessary rest if they're going to play continuous nine or so games in the premiership then conclude Champions Cup, then go into Autumn Internationals and extended form of a Six Nations I, and other tournament. Just have a, a bigger rest period and do a half season next year and then reset I, everything from I, 2022. 2021. 
You got the Lions too. Uh, yeah, and the Lions next season as well. Yeah. The answer, England's contingent of Lions probably are not going to be playing any games next year. So they'll be nice and fresh. They, and they'll actually, be okay. If you're going to find players that are nicely rested, Pro 14 is probably a good place to look. I mean, they are more capable of resting their players than the Premiership are. Mm. I, guess, I guess the Premiership, other than four teams now, other than the top four and possibly the fifth place team, Basically, everyone can rest their players as and when they want anyway. Yeah, yeah exactly. So maybe it's less of an issue. But Sale, Exeter, Bristol, um, Northampton, they're probably not going to be resting a huge amount until, uh, until they've actually secured, but then they'll be playing the knockouts. Now, Big Rob Baxter was on record this week saying that he wouldn't mind having Saracen's trophies in his trophy cabinet in uh, Sunday Park. What do you think of that, boys? As in, but did he mean by that? Oh, you know, fair play. I'd, I'd love to. I'd love to have won the things they've won. Or does he mean I'd love to the, then Saracen's oh. name to be scratched out and re-engraved with Exeter? The second one is how I read it. What do you think of that? Uh, I, don't, I, I, don't... I understand the case he's making because it yeah. was financial doping, but uh, you can't you can't do that because of the structure. Because another team, it's like a butterfly effect. You change. One thing you can't put it on. Yeah, exactly. You can't put it on the final. Exeter still would have to have beaten someone in a final. Yeah, so uh, Gloucester could say the same. Or he didn't say he wanted it. He said he wouldn't mind it if he saw the trophies there. Oh well, that's okay. That makes sense. Yeah, I, mean, I think I, I can't help but think <laughs> just the number of times that the Premiership rugby teams have changed the league rules to fit whatever punishment they decide on the day that they decide it, to, to go back and retrospectively change the team rules again to get um, a reallocation of trophies just seems ridiculous. Yeah, but does it, given, given their past record, it does feel like something which could quite easily happen in the mad world of rugby now. <laughs> if, if, if it was going to have been done, they had a chance to do it when the initial penalties were meted out. It wasn't in the regs then. They didn't change the regs oh. then, which they've done for other things. Therefore, time is gone. Read what you show. The Saracens' appeal is ongoing, right? So they're currently appealing the 35 points and the £5 million fine. Which is why no one's making uh, any are they? comment. They are. Which is why no one's making any comments about it until that com- appeal is concluded. Um, and that's how all this got dragged up. It must be the £5 million fine, not the points. Yeah, who, who knows? Uh, although at this point, I don't think I'd appeal it. I'd just say, no, um, we're Saracens. We have a lot of good players. We have a load of financial clout. And, you know, have, have a look around, guys. You probably need us. So I don't think I'd be uh, too quick to pay that fine. Yeah. I mean, the, the fine proportionately is enormous. It's like 25% yeah. of revenues. It'd be like, like fining uh, Manchester United, like oh, hundreds of millions of pounds. Because of the relative scale of the, and that and the that being paid to all the clubs who've probably already spent <laughs> it, thinking they're getting it, yeah, on a pl- yeah. on a pl- on an overpriced player that they spent last season when it was announced. Yeah, the, the scale well, players, ironically, <laughs> players move pay rise. The the um the scale of the the fine specifically, not the points. I think the points is absolutely fine. The points deduction for Saracens. Um, the scale of the fine, I do think, is a bit. Um, it, it has always seen a bit too large, particularly in the context of what you said. As in, 
there's been example after example, not to excuse the, the behavior at all, uh, but the example after example of um, lack of transparency, changing of rules and regulations, people yeah. marking their own homework. It's, it's almost like this was the time, draw a line and at least on, at least on paper, transparently make it all, rectify it all. Whether a five million pound fine was, was necessary is another matter. Maybe that's what they're appealing. Yeah, yeah, but I'd not heard that actually. The appeal. No, it'd be, not. it'd be interesting to see how that plays out. Yeah, I read it today in Times, but not sure. Mm. So, um, so have you heard that there is? I read this in the rugby paper today. The world's first vegan sevens team is wow. brought into existence. This is the least exciting story I've ever heard. <laughs> the diet of a sevens team. Okay, go for it. You have to be a vegan to get involved to to be a player, and it's a, it's it's a, a effectively it seems to me like a PR exercise to demonstrate uh, this uh, and to refute the stigma that you can't be an elite athlete and be vegan. What was that documentary um, a little while ago? Where everyone was going nuts about. I didn't watch it. It game sounded changers. like cult. It sounded like a cult viewing. Yeah, game changers. Game changers. That's it. So I've also not watched it, but I have seen there was two people. Um, the the former Northampton scrum half I can't remember his name um, he just left South Africa and won the World Cup with oh Kovas Reinach yeah Kovas Reinach and TJ Perinara were saying that having watched Game Changers they're um, they have become vegan and are very much enjoying it and feel feel better I, I have to say where possible I try and eat as close to vegetarian as possible and then smash a load of meat. And the, but, but the reason that I, the reason that I do it, and that sounds odd, is because I just think it is good to eat load, loads of veg. And it just load, load of, load of veg is great, um, of, particularly fruits. Um, but then the no, I mean, who cares? Like genuinely. So- no, well, I heard about 20 minutes of a Joe Rogan podcast, which I didn't mean to listen to. And it was a guy from Game Changers and a guy refuting Game Changers. And they both seemed like, excuse my language, bellends. And I thought, I don't want to watch that documentary. <laughs> um, <laughs> so That is one of the things, isn't it? If you listen to anyone on you know, any of these YouTube um, PTs, I, nothing annoys me more than guys in vests quoting studies. And then they, they put a little highlight of the studies from... You know, Shrewsbury on Sea University said in, nine, in 1996 something to do with calcium. It's all nonsense. There are lies, damn lies, and statistics. You can always find something to back up your claim. Um, but anyway, they, yeah, watch out. This, the, 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 the rugby's first ever all vegan rugby sevens team called the Green Gazelles. Wow. I mean, when, when your diet is more important than the sport, sport you play, I'm not interested. <laughs> Great. If you want to be vegan, brilliant. If you don't want to be vegan, brilliant play rugby either way yeah and there probably is something in um a little bit more veg a little bit less meat for everyone albeit make sure you've got enough protein 200 grams per kilogram right sorry uh, two, <laughs> two grams per kilogram <laughs> all, all, all 200 I, grams per kilogram 200 would be incredible. all i'd say is if you can just uh go to your butcher for your meat because mm. it'll be it'll it'll have no air miles on it and it'll be more ethically produced. Well, but no one's taking no one's taking my ribeye off me. <laughs> <laughs> Hasn't someone just stopped being a vegan in professional sports? Did Novak Djokovic 
No, as a rugby player. I'm sure he's just literally stopped. Who? Oh, it's so annoying. Someone was a vegan, and now they've decided no more vegan for me. I, Who the I'm, hell? I'm sure there's something on Novak Djokovic, because he's got a vegan restaurant, and he went fully vegan or plant-based. But then, and this, this might all be nonsense that um, some anti-vegan person was spouting, but um, that there was like quite a big drop-off in his performance from going uh, full plant-based or full vegan. Mm, no idea. I literally know nothing about it. No, no. I'm eating what I eat. Well, at least there is a sevens team being uh, introduced into the circuit because there's going to be a, a, a few sevens teams being taken out of the market, including apparently ah, England's sevens Dar- sides. Darius Boyd. Sorry, Darius Boyd is no longer on the, on the vegan diet. He plays for the Broncos, Brisbane Broncos. There you go. <laughs> and you as one of them. And come, come back to Egg Chasers Rugby Podcast next week for more vegan rugby news. <laughs> Can we have a second segment? Vegan rugby news. <laughs> God, Tim, you, you were segueing. England's sevens teams are for the cut, for the chop, apparently, men's and women's sides. <sighs> Will this Theory. mean that the seven circuit could come tumbling down? I have no idea what any of this means. Um, and it's been horribly handled, if that helps. Uh, sorry, I'm just moving my whiskey out of the way. Um, <laughs> what, what, what whiskey are you on, JB? That's vegan. I've got two types of whiskey out at the moment. I've got this uh, little Suntory number here. Nice. Suntory, one of my favourite drinks brands in the world. And I've also got uh, this um, Canadian rye. Nice. Now, I'm, I'm just on the Centauri, but I might switch over to the Canadian rye shortly. I am. Um, so, um, a little while ago, I was having a few um, whiskeys with um, my father-in-law. And he often, had, he often has some good stuff in. And <laughs> so he poured me a nice, nice whiskey. And I was like, oh, that, that's pretty good. It's pretty full-bodied. What is that? <laughs> And he goes, oh, I've just got bells in at the moment. <laughs> I thought he was going to say it's like a, a £100 bottle of scotch. He was like, no, it's like the cheapest of the cheap of the cheap. J- but J- no, I'm just looking at JB. You're drinking out of a, like a sherry glass or something. Yeah. I don't have my whiskey glasses done. You need a hev- really heavy crystal tumbler. Yeah, I do, actually. I, I do. So, um, sadly, my whiskey glasses are upstairs. It's the only glass which I had next to my drinks cabinet, which is obviously in the rugby dungeon. But my whiskey glasses are upstairs, so I just put it into this little sherry glass. One of my favourite characters in a, in a TV show is Ron Swanson, which, uh, from Parks and Rec, which you have many, oh, yeah. many a similarity with, JB. <laughs> <laughs> Including whiskey, evidently. I love that character. He's very good. He's awesome. <laughs> So, yeah, so sad news. Uh, Sevens looks like it's on the chop at the RFU. Yeah. Um, So the contracts for the players is going to be gone. They're not going to put out a national team. uh, So that, it could be, so that, I mean, they could do like an invitational sevens, as in take players from academies maybe, rather than have them full, because right now, Am I right in saying that men's and women's are full-time professional contracted to the RFU? Correct. Now, I don't actually know how much they're paid. I'm not masses. It's not a huge not, amount. No. But they travel the world and... It's quite a good lifestyle. It's quite a, a good years. lifestyle. If you're a, young, if you're a young guy, maybe 
not a family yet, what a lifestyle you have. This weekend, Dubai. Next weekend, Sydney. Cape Town. Cape Town. Yeah, San Francisco. I'm gonna, I might get in trouble for saying this, but it reminds me of the plight that the women's game finds itself in, which is if you are a cost to a union, you'll inevitably be an afterthought and you'll always be at risk. My view on the women's game was they should get rid of the RFU and do it themselves. Do it themselves. And if there's not enough money in the pot to be professional, well, you can't be, be professional. And I know everyone thinks that that's a horrible thing to say because everyone deserves to be professional. But think about it. If you could be the best player in the world, like a lot of the England ladies' team, uh, of, a lot of the members of the England ladies' team are, and still have a really good career and have that career post-playing, why would you not take that offer? Why is professionalism the be-all, be-all, be-all or end-all? Anyway, so that's, so that's my thought, which is if you're not making money for the RFU, you're always being an afterthought. Uh, they're never going to get rid of the men's team because without the men's team, they literally have nothing. That's the, uh, you know, that is the goose that lays all of the golden eggs. And I think Sevens must find itself in the same situation, which is it must make money. Because if well, it did... Yeah. Uh, maybe, and, oh. I'm not using an analogy because it's actually just economic kind of principles you're talking about there. And... So, for example, we are a podcast that broadcasts 52 weeks a year. We're about the only rugby podcast which does so on planet Earth. And one of the significant reasons being is some of the other people that produce rugby podcasts do it when their financial backer pays them to do it. There's a lot of money in rugby podcasting now. Whereas we've we've engineered a situation where we are only beholden to ourselves and we're we're not reliant on other people pulling the plug or f- filling our cup. Yeah. I mean, Sevens is one of those games which I think needs its own dedicated resource, its own dedicated union uh, to push forward. Now, they, those unions could be affiliated, but you know, if, if you're an afterthought, you'll never, get, you'll never get the attention that is deserved. Same with the women's game. They are, o- they are only an afterthought because we all know where the men's focus is. Um, and it's on that men's team and it makes so much money they can pay their players 20 grand a year. And, you know, good, good for them. As they should. So, if, if something good comes up um, comes out of this for sevens, which doesn't look likely in the next few years, but if there wasn't good, it'd be maybe you get a more focused administrator for for the sevens team, and it becomes financially viable because that's what we want. Mm. Or maybe it does just totally change, and you pick up um, a different route to follow that pathway, like selecting academy oh. players, and academy players do it almost like a, an experience. Like there are some some. Vi- genuinely very talented players, world stars who've played sevens, like Rico Ioani, like Cheslin Colby. So they talk about his development game, and it's wrong. I mean, sevens, think about sevens, right? You don't need a home ground. You don't need any of the infrastructure. You don't need any of this stuff. I mean, you act more like a Formula One team. In fact, it's even called sevens, sevens Grand Prix. Now, if I owned a sevens team, uh, the JB Fiji All Stars, something, something. Like that. <laughs> and I have money to fund the JB Fiji All Stars as a hobby, which I could do because it cost me less than funding a fund, funding a Premiership rugby team. That is for sure. Um, I would have motorhomes. I would have, you know, it would the JB Fiji Sevens or whatever we'd call, call ourselves um, would have simply the the best drinking culture, the best after tournament parties, all of the things. <laughs> makes i mean that's what like f1 is it's basically a huge party that's what dubai is dubai sevens is a huge party and what happened in new zealand at the the um world sevens tour when they took it to 
New Zealand and they said we're not going to have the drinking. Drink. The, the drinking culture has gone too far. We're going to we're going to rein that in. What happened? Nobody turned up. <laughs> no. No, I mean, pe- people laugh, but you know, you go to a lot of sports events for the glitz and the glamour, and I don't think it'd be appropriate. If a union showed up, imagine the England union bragging about their motorhome outside and, uh, you know, how good, how good the parties were. It just do, you know, do you know what? I, th- I think you actually, I think you make a really good point. I, but I think fundamentally the reason I think you make a really good point is that the two games, 15 aside and seven aside, uh, seven aside because of the conditioning of players is, su- is such an elite level. They've diverged so far. They're actually competing sports now. They're not, I mean, yes, there is a, in the Venn diagram, there is obviously a, a, a reasonable crossover. But it's incredibly difficult, almost, almost impossible, unless you're a freak of nature like Nakarawa, to be able to yeah. do both from one to like the other. It's like rugby league, superficially similar. Details are very different, and you can cross over from one to the other. But, you know, look at the, um, I mean, England do get it, and so do the clubs. Go sell sharks, right? Sail Sharks corporate side is absolutely bouncing. Why? Because people love to have a drink, a good time, feel, feel a bit special. And Sail Sharks have got that absolutely nailed down. England in their corporate have got that absolutely nailed down. Wasps have got that nailed down. People like to go and have a good, go, go and have a good time. And uh, Sevens is fundamentally a great time. But could it be better? Could it be the most? I mean, they could go to the coolest destinations on earth. So, so seven, it, Sevens corporate is amazing. Yeah, they even have HSBC backing it. So it's not like there's no interest in it. In fact, yeah. only... Run, running sevens, um, maybe not through national identity. Well, it could be national identity, but, um, but more like an F1 setup. I think it's a brilliant idea. Yeah, just go to the coolest places on earth. Awesome. <laughs> Play I outside mean, the pyramids of Giza. And yeah, like, in, fact, in fact, the seven wonders of the world. Oh. And the sevens. <laughs> That's <laughs> how you do it. The Hanging Gardens of Babylon. I mean, <laughs> pyramids. I don't know what any of the others are. The Great Wall of China is that one? The mo- is that a modern wonder of the world? No, ancient wonder. Uh, what what are they? Well, okay, the tournaments would be Barcelona. I know it's not technically second seventh seven wonder of the world, but it's a cool city. Yeah, uh, we'd almost have to do. We're nearly at Ibiza, so that 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 would have to be in there. We'd have to have a Brazil a Brazilian leg because that's pretty cool. We'd have to have several US legs. Probably. Cape Town up on Table Mountain. Yes. Yes. I mean, and the thing is, for a private owner, this costs very little to run. You don't need that many people. Seven. Yeah, you don't even need to own a training base. You could <laughs> literally sell shocks. And this is not this is no word of a lie. You could you could probably strike a deal with the Premiership Rugby Club and said, Look, do you mind if I base my sevens team here? I might pay you something, or maybe you pay me something. I don't know. JB, is it is it entirely ridiculous to say that in the uh, JB Fiji Sevens team that the um, oysters and champagne budget would probably exceed the playing budget. Oh, it would almost certainly exceed the playing budget. It, <laughs> uh, think about it as like old eighties racing teams. You're like the Marti- like like Martini Racing, <laughs> ne- Negroni Sevens. Yeah, so all those grid girls who were fired from F1 could get a job <laughs> shucking oysters in your team. I have a job for them. I have. <laughs> Many, many jobs. Okay, the Seven Wonders of the World doesn't sound like it's going to be great. Um, do you know where the Hanging Gardens of Babylon were? Iraq. Or... It's Iraq, isn't <laughs> Iraq. it? Iraq. <laughs> what, yeah. was, what was it called before it was Iraq? Um, 
uh, Persia. Persia. No, no. Is it? Babylon. Was it Persia? Bab- uh, no. Bab- Babylon, near present-day Hilla, Babyl province in Iraq. In oh, the yeah. of Babylon. Iran is Persia, isn't it? Yeah, I think no, it might... I- I- Iran is Persia. Iraq is not. I think it is. Or maybe they're both. Maybe the whole area is. <laughs> yeah. It, who knows? But, you know, may- maybe you're on something there, Tim. Maybe, do you like when, um, when the boxing went to Zaire? I mean, that's, that, that was pretty cool. Oh, ancient Meso- it's ancient Mesopotamia, isn't it? That whole region is Mesopotamia. Uh, okay. Don't know. D- does it have a good rooftop bar scene? That that's kind of. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not sure how good the rooftop bar scene will be in Iraq. They've got. I'm they've not... got lots of bars with no roofs, but uh, <laughs> no rooftop bars. But probably not that many bars. <laughs> Coffee houses. Yes, maybe. Yes, not going there. Scratch that one off. All right, Thanks. fine. <laughs> It was a nice idea while it lasted. It was. One in Central Park, or just like New York would be one. New York or LA. Yeah. yeah. Vegas. No, Vegas. What am I talking about? Vegas. Rome. Vegas would be good. Vegas, Buenos, Rome. Buenos Aires would be amazing. I mean, half of these are probably, like Buenos Aires, I think he's already no. Already there. They could just be cooler. Okay. Yeah. Barcelona would be cool. Just make them cooler. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Just make yeah. cooler. Um, yeah. Now, of course, it's not just the Sevens team, is it? Because there is a bit more of a serious side to this. And not the Sevens aren't serious, because it is obviously very, very serious to the people in, um, involved. But there is due to be 160 staff let go. Either this uh, month... Another 160? Hasn't there already been a big round of redundancies very recently at the RFU? Oh, 25% of the RFU staff. Yeah, so, I, I think this is what was initially it, announced about a month ago or six weeks oh, ago. Oh, okay. It's already been announced. Um, so it's going to be a mixture of this Friday coming when they find out who won't be able to pay the mortgage or Monday. So, you know, there is some serious business go- going on here. Um, I would just like to say it's time now to say, um, you know, the way that the RFU have handled this has been absolutely abysmal. And they've got 160 people being made redundant. And this week they decided to send out a strategy about diversity and inclusion. Now, I think we've just pointed out, haven't we, how if you're not a, a, you know, an area of the RFU that makes money, you're pretty much an afterthought. Um, they're getting rid of about 50% of their grassroots roots coaches, which I would say, right, more than Bill Sweeney telling people he's about to fire to check their privilege, I would say that the grassroots co- coaches are probably the most powerful tool that they have to directly affect recruitment of communities that don't play rugby. 
So how on earth are they going to stand on their pedestal and say we've got a new diversity and, in, and inclusion scheme whilst firing half the people that are meant to actually do this? It, it seems like a... If, if that's what's happening, it seems like a very contradictory... Yeah, it seems like a very contradictory statement. So I'm going to do the, the obligatory like journalist bit. This, this is information you understand to be true. This is... The, I've, I've got it documented. I've got RFU internal documents, right? Like right here. I've, I've, I've got um, how much they spent on, uh, spent on councils, as in barristers on a slide, 300K, which is what they're going to have to cut. I've got their internal communication on, on diversity and inclusion. This, this, this is it. It's just, it's, it, it's about half of the grassroots, gr- grassroots coaches will, will be getting the axe. So that isn't me just making it up. That is, that, that is a fact. So it's, it's, it, it isn't hearsay. 25% of your workforce. I mean, let, let's be clear. The, the, the redundancies are not something to be unexpected at the moment. And so the, the current situation will undoubtedly in any organization lead to some balancing of the books in some roles and everyone, or, you know, people listening, you, the three of us, there, there are, there are ways this, this affects all of us and family yeah. members and stuff. So that's not just to be expected in some okay. respect, but I agree with you that the, the, the manner and the, and the specific roles is that's worrying. So I do not have a problem fundamentally with the organization, an organization running out of money because something as awful as COVID, which is, which is unexpected and so, uh, and so on and so forth. You know, we all, we all know um, what is about to occur. What I hate, what I detest is in the midst of all this, that they bother sending out a diversity and inclusion document to, to everyone, saying how important it is when you're actually getting rid of the people who would execute that plan. What it tells me is they have no interest in diver, d- diversity and inclusion. They never had. He's effectively covering his own arse. So in the future, when you know, uh, the Inquisition happens, it's insulting. He's insulted all of his workforce by sending, sending, sending this out. Furthermore, he's a bad, he is a bad chief exec. The way they are going about this just demonstrates to you where their, where their objectives are and what their priorities are. Talk about diversity and inclusion. If they had wasted all of their money on this and now they found themselves at a loose end, I'd be more sympathetic. The facts of the matter are they found themselves in this situation because they spent all of their money doing up Twickenham to host some of the wealthiest people in the country, which I have no problem with, but then don't turn around and say, oh yeah, but now we're interested in di- diversity and, and, and inclusion. Well, what have you do- done in the past? So, uh, yeah, I have a huge problem with all of this. I, it's arse covering of, of the worst type. It's completely cynical. And, and if um, the, half the community coaches are going, then that is only going to make the problem worse. Exactly. Exactly. Who is he trying to, uh, to... Who is Bill Sweeney trying to appease here? Is it, you know, is it the trolls on Twitter? Is it one in 50 uh, of the... Uh, one in 50 of the population that bothered to tweet? I don't know what his game is. On, on that point, what would you do to, um, to improve that situation? If you were in the hot seat, CEO of the RFU, how would you um, turn things around to actually improve the, the diversity, the, the breadth of people who, are, who can be attracted to the game? I don't think I would. I, I, I honestly do not think I would do a single thing. And you know, for 10 years, they've been trying various things. And it, 
nothing, nothing ever changes. Ultimately, if you want to get involved with rugby, you need to do one thing, like rugby. You know, you don't need to change the game. You don't need to put, uh, you know, urban fonts on all the Twickenham message boards. You don't need to change the game fundamentally to attract different people. You need, in fact, here's what I would do. I would, as far as possible, empower clubs to do whatever clubs felt is best for them. And actually, when they do that, you'll find decisions will be far better. If I was Bill Sweeney, I'd probably resign. That'd be the be- that, that, that would be the best course of action. I mean, I, I think that uh, diversity and inclusion are, are worthy aims, and I don't disagree with that as a principle. What I, the way that I would want to manifest that is by in- increasing the pool of people who enjoy rugby full stop. I don't like the kind of corporate way that, that it's being done at the minute, which feels a bit tokenistic well, in, in, a, in a lot of industries just now. Let me tell you how insincere this, this whole campaign is by Bill Sweeney. Uh, by the way, I keep mentioning his name because on the documents, he is the lead. So he, so, you know, he can take full credit for this. One of the videos is going to be of the Lady Sevens team. And it's basically going to be a lecture about race or something. And uh, it features Deborah Fleming. Well, Deborah Fleming is a sevens player. If this video goes out and it goes out to all the staff, they'll be getting a, they'll, they'll be getting a talk by someone that Bill Sweeney had um, put as centre of the campaign and is now fired. It's perverse. Um, back to what you were saying, Tim. Everyone agrees. Everyone agrees that rugby clubs should be open to, 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 to everyone. And actually... If there are more rugby, if, if there are more rugby clubs, if you don't like one, you can go. You can go to the next one. But we're also starting off from premise that it's not inclusive or diverse, and they are both those things. They're the most inclusive and diverse places that I've that I've ever been. I believe in the power of rugby to have a massively positive impact, and I speak to someone who was a was a state school kid, and I was the only state school kid in my county rugby team. And that was bloody hell, that was eye-opening. It was a different world. I was suddenly moving in these circles. I, ha- I did not recognise the world I went into when I went into representative rugby and went down to the southwest and stuff. It was, yeah, there was a, there was a period where I felt a little bit inferior. So I, I was introduced to rugby, first person in my family ever to play rugby from a state school and not a hotbed rugby area. And it get, it's given me so much. And I believe in the power of rugby to have a massively positive impact. That would be where my focus would be, not in boardrooms and PowerPoint presentations. Yeah, it's heartbreaking to think that all these cuts are going to happen. All these people will be out, out, out of a job. And this is what the chair, this is what the chief exec prioritizes. It makes me absolutely furious. It wouldn't happen in a business where, you know, there's an owner who's accountable and the accountability isn't, you know, his future speaking engagements. The accountability is his checkbook. And it just, you, so, I mean, you, you're impugning motives there. It, it might be the best of, it might be the best of intentions, but actually, it, let, well, let's, let's turn it around another way. Rather than impugning Bill Sweeney's motives, let's just say if we had finite amount of money and we wanted to have the biggest impact on diversity, inclusion, or the sport in general, or whatever, what would you do with finite resources? What would you ring? What would you ring fence, for want of a better phrase, and actually do, say that's that's the most efficient and the best use of that cash? So I actually think you're asking the wrong question there. And I'm sorry to back out of that because obviously uh, where I have been unfair is I've not acknowledged that Bill Sweeney has got a really difficult job in cutting cutting expenditure. There's no two ways about that. However, it is under his leadership and his predecessor's leadership that they find themselves here. There is no reason whatsoever when you have a monopoly, it's not a business, remember that. 
it has business aspects to it, but it's a governing body. It's got new shareholders to, to, to report to. It doesn't need to make a profit. There is no reason why for the last 10 years, English rugby, the RFU, could not have been putting into an endowment fund for a rainy day. And they did not do that. They spent up to their maximum each and every year. They paid the players 20, 25 grand a year, which I think they probably do deserve. They've built a new stand. They've done all these things. They've spent money like it's water. And they've had loads of money. You know, the Home World Cup generated them loads of, loads of money. The boost they got from winning the World Cup in 2003 generated them loads of money. And what do they do with it? They frittered it away. And I'll tell you what, one thing I'd want to know, just for example, I want to see what's the expenses package for RFU councillors and their away trips to Six Nations game. I, well, I'd want to know about that before I knew about any grassroots coaches getting, now, getting, losing their job. If JB if is the top man, and I, I assume those expenses... Um, allowances extend to his immediate um, acquaintances um, namely me and you Tim so yes, I'm going to say JB should not touch those um, five star <laughs> hotels those fine dining budgets they, they are it's just out of the question they can be considered for the job Tim to, to answer from my perspective to answer the question that you asked before about how how can you grow the game and how can you reach out to people and I, I think from from like a very high level um, Bill Sweeney or now JB um, CEO of uh, the RFU perspective. Huh. There's two things, one which you've got short-term influence on and one which is a long-term influence on. Uh, and the two, two biggest things are, one is creating heroes by having a bloody successful national team. Yep. So if your national team wins things time and time again, and that's, that is something that he can affect, um, but only very long-term by having the best coaches, the best players, attracting the best players, attracting the best people into the game. And the other one is the widest possible um, reach into the talent of the country, the talented sports men and women in uh, across the country. Yeah. Um, and that is by getting into, as you said it before, it's, it's something that both of you have said, but it's getting into schools and it's making the That's game. Massive. It's making the game fun. We're, 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 we're all in Manchester. You only play rugby in school in Manchester if you are fee paying pupil. Mm. That's it. A greater Manchester, three million people. Yeah. One five percent of the of the entire United Kingdom population only play rugby if they pay school fees. Yeah. Well, well hang on. Just to add to what Phil said there, making it fun. It's what is not a money a monetary issue. So I didn't I didn't really didn't really mention it. But why is rugby fun? It's fun because you get to write people off, or you get to avoid been been absolutely written off it's the physicality it's the braveness it's the physicality the jeopardy the, the all those, skill challenge you, you talk to people in in rugby now and they are desperate to cover up the fact that and i say cover up i do mean this cover up as in they say oh don't mention big hits please don't mention big hits please don't mention the brutality of the game it is a brutal game ask anyone ask any professional that plays the game now and they'll say oh maybe it's getting too much but why did they get into it what attracted them into the game as a young lad it wasn't because someone is running a diversity and inclusion program. They found the game, like I did, like you did, like Phil did probably, because they were attracted to the jeopardy and danger of the whole thing. Yeah, and so I would say that, that there seems to be a lot of focus, and I, you see this in business in general, a lot of focus at the minute on, on the corporate boardroom, um, corporate level stuff. When actually it's all at the top and it's all at the bottom, and at the top, England have got a side which it's more than representative, re representative of, of the diversity of the country in, in a lot of respects. Look at characters like Courtney Laws and Kyle Sinclair. 
working working class backgrounds, multi ethnic families, and they're fantastic ambassadors for the game. And then and they love annihilating people. <laughs> in both cases, you're absolutely right. At the bottom of the game is the other place you focus on, and I think England. My experience of England is that you have a lot of very, very willing volunteers and rugby clubs are, are, are run on volunteers. There are a lot of clubs and therefore a lot of young people's early experiences in rugby, substandard coaching. So I, I would spend what little money I had on locum coaches who would develop actual coaches and that would be their full-time job, just coaching coaches. There is absolutely loads I would get rid of to balance the books before I got rid of community coaches. There, there is an argument, there's a line of thinking, isn't there? There's a line of argument that says, increase diversity, increase numbers. Absolute nonsense. Um, there is a constituency out there begging for rugby, much like you highlighted in, uh, in, uh, in, in Manchester. We need to reach the people who would play rugby if they were exposed to it. Mm. Not introduce rugby to a whole new swathe of people who have never ever expressed any interest in, in rugby and primarily who am I talking about young aggressive men that want to write uh, want to write people off that's who wants to play this game and if you Tim to your point if you've got good coaches who know what they're doing you can make it both fun but also get people actually learning about the game and learning what the best way to well yeah and, all, and also to satisfy the, 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 the other element you can have them you can have it done safely. You can have all the fun of rugby done safely. As, as safe as you can. As safe as, it, as, safe as you can expect. On that point, in a similar thing, actually, to yours, and probably a lot cheaper and easier, well, a really lot cheaper, but maybe not easier, is two things I observed when I was um, a, a young man playing rugby, a young kid playing rugby, is one, your point, Tim, that lots of bad coaching um, well, yeah but with the with, lot, the, with the best of, will in the world and lots of exactly. effort they're doing the best they can but they're just not they're not coach they're not professional coaches they're volunteers and it would be very easy to convert them to being good coaches yeah uh, with because they've got the exactly the heart and the effort is in the right place and the other side of it is lots of bad referees that frustrate people frustrate parents frustrate coaches and frustrate players when you're getting bad referees yeah. and bad decisions and, and again it's people whose heart is in the right place but improving the standard of coaching and refereeing right the way up would be, I think it would be a massive, it would have a massive long-term impact. Just to be a little bit contrary on this, the elimination of half the grassroots coaches in rugby, I, I would do wonder if it'll make clubs a little bit more, what's the word for it? A little bit more proactive in looking through their phone books to find people with the right skills to come back. Every rugby club has someone in it has a, a lot of people in it who know what they're talking about and make a few phone calls say look can you help us one day a week can you help us one day every two weeks or one day every three weeks because we know that you've played at a high level or you know things about the game or you work in a school and you've got co you know i i don't think that is the worst thing in the world and it all depends how the clubs react to it because i think one of the things we are in danger of uh, in in rugby and we've probably been doing it for a while it's been too reliant on central funding you know, maybe, like you say, Tim, volunteer, or if you know someone that can help, give, like, give them a phone call. Try in, in, terms of the, in terms of the untapped resources, they exactly say, how can you get rugby to appeal to someone who's never previously been aware or considered it? I, I took my son, Louis, to... Um, we went to stay in a friend's in uh, Marlow in about October. During the World Cup, actually, because we watched the World Cup game afterwards. Because our friends were going to the mini rugby on a Sunday, they said, oh, just come along and train with us. And coming from the little club in Manchester that we go to, and I went to Marlow Rugby Club, 
Oh my word. It was a different universe. I, I've never seen so many kids, never seen so many parents. Where's Marlow? Um, uh, Buckinghamshire. And uh, so it's, it's sort of in the London commute about. Nice part of the world. Pr- prime, pr- very pricey part of the world. Lovely on the river. <laughs> Private school fees there. Yeah, exactly. A lot of that. So I've never seen so many kids, so many volunteers. It's such so professionally organized for an amateur volunteer thing. The, the, the coffee stalls, the, all of it was absolutely incredible. And I've no doubt that you take away the local community coaches from Buckinghamshire and a lot of those clubs will be absolutely fine. But Salford, Oldham, Withenshaw FC, Withenshaw, mm. South, the South Manchester clubs, they, 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 will, they will be the hardest hit. As always happens, the places that need the help the most will be the places that are hit, are hit worst. So if you really want to grow the game and if you really want to grow the diversity of the game, and, and a big part of that is tapping into the working class kids that would love rugby if only they were able to play at a school or knew that a local club existed, you could be strategic and pick certain postcodes and chuck your coaches there, but that should be the last money you stop spending. Exactly right. There should be th- there should not be three hundred k's worth of barristers' fees on the bloody R- um, uh, RFU balance sheet. Sorry, profit loss. Anyway, well, we should um, be so we should be hearing about that. So I'm sure that will become a talking point fairly soon, by the sound of it. Yeah, Friday or Monday, or maybe someone Friday, maybe someone Monday. Yeah, not this, next Monday. So in, the, in uh, just a couple of other little headlines from around the world of rugby, um, London Irish thought they'd, um, <laughs> this could be a case of doubling down. They've got one very expensive Australian lock. They're, they're rumoured to be signing Rob Simmons. Rather than getting, letting Adam, Adam Coleman go, getting Rob Simmons in. Love that. Love it. Well, Why? If, if they're in eighth with one uh, Australian, very expensive Australian lock, but are they going to be in fourth if they get two of them? I guess so. I would, I would expect so. And then if they get three, maybe they'll get into second. Yeah, go with the uh, three, put one lock in the back row. Yeah, that's tight head lock at number eight. If only they could have got Will Skelton. They'd be, they'd be champions. Um, yeah. Where is Will Skelton? Gone to France. Uh, La Rochelle. I can't yeah. imagine Will Skelton's game staying at the level it was at Saracens. With French strength and conditioning and nutritions. Yeah, I, I mean, I can see him being a different type of player, a more effective, limited circumstances. Tight headlock. Can't see it being overall working well. I think you'd be lifting in the lineouts a lot more than jumping. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, top Tom Homer to Irish as well. Apparently going back. Maybe, maybe this is the start of the, the London Irish West, aka Bath just sort of creeping back uh, east. Going home. Going home. Irish, unless I've missed something, I don't think Irish have currently announced any signings. They've announced people being released. Yeah. But I don't think they've announced anyone coming in. No, these are just rumours. I think Jamie Gibson's on on the market without a club. Maybe he could go, go back. Has he not gone already gone back as injury cover to Northampton? For the oh, remainder of the extended season, season yeah. Okay. Uh, so, yeah. go for Alex Corbett Sierra. He's yeah. not <laughs> Yes. Um, Matt, ba- Matt Banahan. Banners. Is he London Irish? Oh, he, yeah, was, he, he was like London Irish Academy lock, and then he went yeah, to Bath. Right. Another lock. Um, any news on Kyle Eastman, my favourite player? No club. He's uh, struggling for options. 
I've got to, th- I've got, I've got to think that he is going to get picked up sooner rather than later. He's got too much talent not to play. Well, the thing, thing is, though, he was. I seem to think wasn't he taken up by Leicester on the cheap because he got released from Bath. No, he got released from Wasps. Who? Oh, so yeah, it was Bath. No, Kyle, a brief history of Kyle Eastman. Kyle Eastman agreed heads of terms with Mike Ford to be basically Bath's most expensive player. Yeah. Bath reneged on those terms. Said, nah, we don't fancy that. After Mike Ford went. After Mike Ford went, yeah. Kyle Eastman finds himself on the market. Sale want him. Wasps want him. Wasps put, uh, pull out the stops to, to get him just before the season starts. And I'm guessing not on the deal he would, he would, he would like. Yeah. He then ends up with Leicester in the same situation, which is he's, he's on the open market. Again, not on the deal he likes. And now he's been released by Leicester. And I'm guessing he's going to find a deal which he doesn't like. So he's gone from nearly being one of the best paid players in the entire premiership, inches away, seconds away, hours away, um, to basically having three consecutive deals, which I don't think he would have chose. So, mm. so when he first moved to Rugby League, I, um, the, sorry, first moved from Rugby League to Rugby Union, the strength and conditioning coach that I was working with was... Uh, St. Hel- St. Helens legend, A.D. Gardner. Yeah. And I remember talking to A.D. Gardner about him, and A.D. Gardner, who's a phenomenal player, um, like an unbelievable try scorer for, for St. Helens, for those who don't know. Um, he said he was the most explosive and most agile player he's ever played with. He just yeah. said Eastman was just unreal. So when I'm doing rugby dungeon, right? I know it's a rubbish question, and Tim, don't laugh at me for asking it. But I often ask, like, who is the best player that you that, that you played with, whether it be on the interview or you know off uh, off air. And I can think of about four separate players now who have played with Carl Eastman, and it isn't even a, it, it's not even a, a split second decision. It's Carl Eastman, Carl Eastman, hundred percent all all the time. And it's just apparently so really verbal, great communicator, just a brilliant player. But then, when was the last time you actually saw him do that? Because he's yeah. not had a good couple of years. Like, my, my most memorable moments of Kyle Eastman over the past couple of years is him getting red-carded. Yeah, and he's had a few. He had one at Wasps. He's had one, wasn't he? One at Quinns. One against, one against for playing for Leicester mm-hmm. against Quinns, I seem to remember. I think, if I was a director of rugby now, you, he is a signing you have to sign because you don't need him. You can't rely on him. That's what uh, I don't think. Even though he's got over a lot of his injuries, remember he had a horrendous Achilles Achilles injury. Um, you want him on a situation where you can use him when you want to use him, rather than relying on him playing week in week out. Because there's two reasons that you want to do that. One, I'm not sure he can take the game load. Two, um, he's so talented that if he starts playing well, you can't replace him. You're better off being without him and only plugging him in when you actually need him to play. So at a time when um, it's probably not the time for... Yeah, it's definitely not the best time to be a luxury-type player. Depends on the cost. Well, yeah. Uh, yeah. Now, probably think of where, where he can go next, really. France. France. Or Japan. Oh. Yeah. France you or Japan. Imagine, imagine him fitting in in France, though. I mean, he's not, um, a big, not a big bloke. Pro no, de pro de He's talented. Uh, and France have got a France have got a, uh, are introducing a professional third division now. So, tell you what, if, if 
if Carl Eastman spent the last few years of his career, in the peak of his career, in Pro de Deux, no, there's nothing wrong with Pro de Deux, but it broke my heart. I, I, that can't be allowed to happen. He has to stay in the Premiership. But one or, of your other... One of your other big fans who you interviewed a couple of weeks ago has done it once and got out of there, and he's now doing it again. Carl Ferns. Carl uh, Well, that's a little bit different. Go so, on. Well, I think it's different because Carl Ferns has got a basic experience now, which is a very valuable experience, and Tim will kind of back, back me up on this, of going into a pro de deux team, getting them promoted, but quite a rare thing, keeping them up, particularly if you don't have a strong history in pro de deux. He knows what it takes. It makes him very, very valuable when, he, when you go, go back down, down there. It reminds me of something which, something which Tim said, because your brother, Tim, has a very rare skill set, which is he has loads, he's probably one of the most experienced locks from the championship, but also has a transition into premiership too. And I think that kind of experience in that area is really valuable to clubs. But first time Carl Ferns did it, he didn't have that experience, did he? Yeah, he, he bought Leon up from Pro de Deux. What, Sorry, but, first, wait, so, but when he went to Leon? Yeah, but when he, the first time he did it, he did not have that experience. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, Kyle yeah. Eastman is like Carl Ferns was first time around in terms of that. Ex- if that is the specific thing that you as a DOR want, I would Kyle say- Eastman doesn't have it. I would well. I don't well. Hang on. First of all, we don't know if he's going there. If he if he goes to road, fair. Yeah, I think when um, Leon signed Coffins, uh, they had a clear and obvious plan to get up and the money and the backing. So if if he finds himself in a situation like that, maybe go. All right, fine, do it. If he finds himself in a situation like uh, Tom Brady, who found himself in Carcassonne, Carcassonne. no chance of chance of coming up. And then kind of feels oh, maybe maybe I don't want to stay in rugby at all. That's not that's what I don't want to see. Mm. Yes, well we will we'll see that. The, the only final thing is the coaches. Nick Easter has gone to Newcastle as a defence coach. Gloucester have um, brought in. I've just brain farted their new coach, Alex King. Alex Don King. Wal- Sorry, go on, Don Waldock. Don- yes. Right, we need to talk about this. Uh, I'll, ju- I'll just quickly say the other one. Jerry Flannery um, coming into Quinns. Paul Gustard's been raving about him as being a missing piece of the jigsaw for them. So, Yeah, people talk that- up Jerry Flannery. Yeah. Yeah, that'll be the missing piece. But Don, uh, Wald- Don Waldock uh, to Gloucester. Uh, <laughs> uh, okay, first of all, I hope it works. I hope every coaching appointment works. Uh, I just... Well, I guess I'm shocked more than anything. Maybe it's a stroke of genius. Um, whose stroke of genius? Because these people do seem to have links to one man in the playing team. I am going to say Lance Bradley's stroke of genius because <laughs> Mr. Bradley has dismantled one of the most experienced coaching teams in the Premiership, one might say, and has replaced it with I, 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 people linked with Danny Cipriani. <laughs> and and uh, I mean Gloucester are now involved in uh, as far as I'm aware at least two um, lawsuits or p- disputes with other premiership clubs why what's the second one I know. Uh, Skiv- George Givington obviously with London Irish and they've they've got their um, I think it probably is over but they've still there is still some hangover from 
the dispute with both the Golden Lions or the Lions at Joburg and Sale Sharks over Rohan Jansi van Rensburg. Apart from that, just... all, um, all I say about the Gloucester coaches is if Danny Cipriani could have picked the Gloucester coaches, <laughs> he would have picked these guys. He loves them all. Uh, what can you this okay it's not healthy is it 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 might not be healthy for the long-term success of Gloucester rugby could it be could it be their year next year sure sure maybe next year is it going to be their year in five years time probably not tell you right now right uh no Mostart no um Grobler no engine room I mean yes I've got second rows and you know Friend of the show, friend, friend of the show, great guy. But he, he you know, Slater can't win this thing on his own. He needs some help. Um, I, I don't like these appointments at all. It wasn't that long ago. I think towards the end of the season, we were talking about what is the future for Danny Cipriani? Is it going to be? Is it going to be France? Is it going to be? You know, what is going to happen? Well, we were miles off. We were miles off because presumably he's going to need a new contract at some point. Um, no one's going to drop him. No one's going to ask him any difficult questions. If he decides to go full, if he decides to turn the Danny Cipriani-ness up to a 12, who's going to hold him to account? <laughs> and I, I'm a huge fan of him. Huge, huge fan of him. I just... It's not healthy. It's, it's, not, um, it's not the setup to build a long-term dynasty. Albeit, it's a it's a significantly cheaper coaching setup than the one that was previously on their books. Yeah, and I guess if Danny Cipriani... Alex, Alex King is highly rated. He is highly rated, isn't he? And he was yeah. absolutely booted at Northampton. Um, yeah. So uh, he was at the WRU for a little while, I seem to think. He's doing some yeah, skills, right. skills work for them. Um, yeah, he is highly rated, but is he going to be telling Danny Cipriani what what to do when Danny Cipriani got him his job uh, allegedly allegedly <laughs> I mean Danny Cipriani is going to be running that defense uh, that that attack his best mate is going to be running the defense uh, I tell you who's was going to have a field day against Gloucester Wasps no Sail Sharks <laughs> the reason that is a lot of the things that you see from Danny Cipriani are lifted straight from the Paul Deacon playbook you know Danny <laughs> And people laugh, people laugh. Um, Paul Deacon is a rugby league, rugby league legend. He knows the game inside out. Everyone that trains with him talks about his details and his processes. And Danny Cipriani came out of sale, a different player to the one that, the one that went in. Now, I think there's a bit of two-way learning there. I think Paul Deacon learned a lot from Danny Cipriani too. But there's no two ways about it. When you see all those, rug, uh, all those rugby league type moves, where does it come from? And they'll know exactly exactly what the plan is. Mind you, knowing what it is and stopping it is two different things. Yeah, but if you've got uh, Rohan Yanti von Rensburg and Manu Tualagi rumbling down the middle, <laughs> True. they, they uh, might do okay. That job quick, becomes slightly easier. Just a quick question to you two. What do you think the impact is on the rest of the squad if, um, if you feel that one player is untouchable? Or does it happen, does it happen in every squad? Am I, uh, uh, am I seeing it the wrong way? No, I, I've, I've seen that kind of thing happen. Obviously, much different level. But I've seen people get pissed off because yeah. there's question marks over 
individual players' performances, yeah. and they are undroppable or appear to be undroppable. They yeah, have to be. Reason. They have to be incredible. There was there was a period at uh, Newbury when they started. They brought in a couple of guys from Australia, and one was ended up being club captain and was a talismanic figure as a hooker. The other was decent bloke, but lazy, lazy as you like, and didn't deserve his position in the team. But he's been paid a lot of money to come over from Australia. Sorry, say again. Did he play back row? He did. He did play back row. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> one played hooker. One played back row. Get get him out of here. <laughs> Coming over, taking our jobs. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But he, he didn't deserve. He didn't deserve his position. There were other players in that squad that deserved the position more. One, one player in particular, I might, I, I might, I might think. But, but, and, and the knock-on effect of that is he was so. He, but he, he'd come over with 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 such a high cost that um, the, the other players, naming no names, the other players who were on the bench, uh, and who and, probably sorry. Good working class lads. Yeah, good working class lads, <laughs> local lads that came up through the the clubs, yeah. through Salt the club's the youth system. Salt the earth, uh, and, and 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 that lad on the bench had a little deal in his little um, contract, so to speak, with the club. Although it was more like pocket money, that um, you get more money if you play twenty minutes or more. And the number of times that I would go on at sixty-one minutes, so, <laughs> so annoying. I was talking to someone who used to play at Saracens in the in the bad old days, um, and he was explaining that you would you would get a contract, and in your contract would be like if you play over a certain number of games or a certain number of minutes, you get an automatic pay rise. So they went through a load of reserve props because they get they'd have the starting prop, and then the reserve would come on, and then when he got nearer to his threshold, they'd bin him off, and they'd bring in another reserve prop. <laughs> <laughs> That's given the pay rise. How times have changed up changed at Saracens. Yeah, now they'd be buying them houses and everything. I know. And that's just reserves. Buying them their image rights. Yeah. Uh, Danny Cipriani is an amazingly talented player. And if he plays at his best, I think this will work out just fine for everyone. If he doesn't, there'll be questions asked. They better win. That's what I'm saying. They better win. But I don't think they will. Mm. On that bombshell. Only only two more weekends before Premiership Rugby is back. So we can answer these burning questions. So exciting. So exciting. Um, Sorry? What's the opening game? Do you know? Uh, It's a Friday night game and it's Sale against... Harlequins. Quins, yeah. Quins. Big game for neutrals, that one. Mm. And then all I I know in that first weekend is that Bristol have got a home game. And then I'm going to Bristol and Northampton. Nice. So I'm trying to work out what is the situation with press for sale home games. So I think I might be able to go and watch, actually. Mm. Press, obviously. And I tell you what, the AJ Bell, you'd be able to get in and out in no time. It's, yeah. It's going to be amazing. Yeah, it's, well, let's not... Well, there's also some chats that they would be able to socially and this is not a joke before you start laughing at me um that sale think they might be able to socially distance that crowd with a with a full crowd yeah because you you got yeah. like, you two and a half thousand people in a twelve thousand seat stadium uh, well it's usually a lot more than that actually 
but uh, they could limit the crowd certainly. <laughs> they wouldn't. Yeah, they they they. Go from the standard eight thousand down to two thousand, no problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I I did notice the front of the rugby paper today. Simon Orange was very upset that 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 hasn't been allowed. That's more for the government than from any for anyone else. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, they have to be guided by that. But you know, he has got a point. You know, he is trying to keep a club above water. He's trying to make money, or at least trying to lose as little as possible. But. Yeah. Government guidance, so you can't hold the Premiership uh, accountable for that one, I'm afraid. Mm-hmm. Quite. So that, that, that weekend, just that weekend, will be the start of Premiership rugby, but it's also the final week of Super yeah. Rugby Aotearoa. Yes. Big weekend in three weeks' time. Get oh. in. Get in. Well, if you if you enjoy this podcast, um, all we ask you to do is hit subscribe and tell tell your friends because uh, we are the rugby podcast that is here for you 52 weeks a year. Come what may. Uh, so nice one, JB, and nice one, Phil. Cheers, Are you guys. right? Nice one. Bye bye. Right, right, sweet. I'll I'll go get that up now. Nice Talk one. Bye. Cheers, Jake. Nice one. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.